0: Renewables right now are about 25% of energy production, but expected to go to 50 to 60% by 2050, and that's a massive increase. It's going to take a, a massive amount of investment to get there.
1: Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. All eyes are on Glasgow this week as the UN Climate Change Conference shifts global attention to emission targets. With the environment on their minds, Chris McKinney, Chris Heeks, and your host Mark Rays offer insights into the implications that COP26 will have on financial markets, while providing tools for investors to navigate the ever-evolving energy sector. Our experts also discuss the industry nuances of ESG ratings, investment strategies for snowbirds, and heightened risks in China that may also be creating heightened opportunities. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca.
2: Hello, and welcome to the BMO ETF Weekly Insight Call with our team of experts. I'm the host today, Mark Rays, Head of Product for BMO GAM Canada. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in. We certainly appreciate your time. We're joined today by two of our portfolio managers, Chris McCaney and Chris Heeks. I'd like to thank both of you for taking the time today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Excellent. Thanks to both of you. Let's get right into things. Uh, Certainly the news over the weekend and into this week has been the UN uh, Climate Conference that's been ongoing in the UK. Countries are certainly making their own commitments. But this runs side by side with companies around the world making commitments and Research groups and index providers like MSCI, of course, tracking their success. So given the focus on targets and tracking, what does it mean for companies if they start to drift from their targets? Do do you find they get penalized by investors? Are people aware of this? Your thoughts as this is clearly the topic of the week.
0: Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I think one big takeaway is, yes, this is much more important than it used to be in the past. You know, in the past... Um, you know, if you go back 10 years and you look, did this play a major theme in markets? Um, probably not. Um, but this is certainly playing a theme in markets this week, as we know, and it's, it's, it's going to play a theme in markets going forward. I think we can agree on that. So COP26, this is a twenty-six meeting, and, and I must admit this seems to have taken much more priority than any other of the previous 25 meetings that at least I can remember. You have over 100 heads of states attending earlier this week. A few things I thought were interesting, China continues to pledge to 2060 um, net zero, not moving back to coal. India put in its first pledge uh, to be net zero by 2070. So they're a little bit behind that target of 2050, but it shows you that even the emerging markets um, are focusing on getting to this net zero target. Uh, there's a lot of discussion around this 1.5 degree Celsius target, and then that's that's an increase in temperature versus pre-industrialization levels. And, and uh, you know, it's a focus of, you know, most, if not all governments, certainly all the large ones um, globally. Uh, we saw Trudeau had some, confirming some promises he made in the election to, to cap emissions. So um, charting a path to net zero by 2050. So he's looking to cap emissions from the oil and gas sector emissions generally and then provide a trajectory to zero, to net zero by 2050. So I think the impact to companies from investment perspective is, is pretty clear. We're seeing capital and policy being directed to um, companies that are either lower intensity of carbon or at least are transitioning to a lower carbon intensity going forward. And you know I think it, it is clear that companies that aren't you know either uh, willing or able, transition are going to to pay an economic price in, in, the, in the markets. And we've seen um, some high-profile funds that have you know, avoided some of the uh, higher-risk companies in this area. So I think it's an important theme for investors going forward. In terms of looking at how to play it, I think we're going to talk about ESG in a sec. So I'll, I'll save the comments there. But I wanted to talk about our clean energy ETF to start start just because it's obviously so topical with with this carbon debate. So the ticker ZCLN, which we launched this January, um, it focuses on renewable power generation and equipment providers and and servicers that are going to meet um, meet that demand for renewables. Um, obviously, renewables are going to be a major part of this uh, transition and and meeting a Paris. Um, Paris targets of 2050. Renewables right now are about 25% of energy production, but expected to go to 50 to 60% by 2050. And that's a massive um, increase. It's going to take a, a massive amount of investment to get there. So it's, a, it's what we like to call a, a mega trend and uh, one that we think will play out, um, you know, over several years and decades. I wanted to highlight that we just recently rebalanced um, the Zed Clean, so we we increased the names from seventy five to eighty one, um, following the S and P index. A couple of interesting changes they made to the index this uh, October: they added an ESG screen, and as well they put increased um, controls of carbon emissions. So, you know, right on cue for this climate summit the um, the carbon intensity of the portfolio actually um, about halved uh, from from pre October to to now. So
3: um,
0: so I think this has aligned the portfolio uh, even closer with you know the climate objectives. And I think it's a you know it's a very interesting exposure for for investors to um, to to play the theme over a long period of time. And you know also right on cue with the conference, we've seen Zed Clean has been up about ten percent over the last ten days. So. I think it's a very interesting exposure uh, for investors who can take a little more risk and try and get that, you know, excess growth over over market cycles as we transition. But you know, to me, overall, definitely shows, you know, this is another data point to me that that ESG and climate-aware strategies are are a trend that you know we're going to see become more important certainly over the next few years rather than less important. Great, thanks for that, Chris, and and good point on. Uh
2: Mentioning that rebalance, the one thing I did like to see, uh, which you mentioned, was the the clear reduction in the carbon scoring. Uh, I think that aligns with what investors expect out of a clean energy ETF. So a good improvement there. Now, as a follow-up, let's take a look at ESGG, our BMO MSCI Global ESG Leaders ETF. Can you comment on how the E, the S, and the G factor into a company's ratings? Advisors have been asking, how do companies get rated across different industries? You know, certainly with climate at the forefront here, you, know, you would think that energy and material producers have a more obvious impact on the environment than, than more IT-related companies. So how, how are these various companies scored across industries? Thanks.
3: Yeah, certainly, Mark. And there's been a lot of interest in, um, you know, the ESG leaders suite that we've launched, not, not just our global fund um, that you mentioned, ESGG, but our regional ones as well. We have Canada, uh, US, and E.F.I. Those, those building blocks of that global exposure. And we have seen a lot of investors, both retail and institutional, um, with increased interest in this area. Um, and of course, you know, again, you, you, you questioned about energy and materials specifically with the impact on the environment. You know, of course, that environmental concern um, is only one uh, pillar of the, that ESG acronym. There's also social and governance factors that, um, that are rated for each company as well. And so essentially how, how the index and the portfolio gets built, the, the process that MSCI follows with this ESG leaders methodology is that each company uh, is rated across those different factors. So uh, multiple factors. Within environmental, within social, and within governance. So, you know, you you, you mentioned some of those environmental concerns, but also, um, you know, what's their corporate behavior been like, um, or what's what's their track record in human capital, the development of their own workforce, um, or of labor standards, for example, not just in their own company but within their supply chains, if they have supply chains. What's what's the labor standards been like? Um, you know, are they um, uh, serious about privacy and data security, things like that. And of course, also um, back to the social aspect where are their raw materials sourced from? Are they sourced in a responsible way? So, a variety of factors that, that every company would get scored on. And it is a little bit different in each industry, of course, um, you, you know, sourcing and things like that and supply chains might be more applicable to IT or hardware. Um creators more so than like a utility company for just for example. So companies are, are scored across these metrics relative to the other companies in their industry. Um, again, because um, each of these factors does play out a little bit differently in each industry. And when the portfolio is built, the methodology that MSCI follows for this leaders um, approach is that it, it essentially takes the, the top companies the top scored companies in each sector. Um, And so what you end up with is a portfolio that from a risk um, metric sort of approach or or risk drivers looks and feels actually very similar to the parent index. So in this case, you know, with our our MSCI global ESG leaders, ETF, um, the, the sector exposures and the country exposures actually look very similar to the MSCI world. Um, and so that's very important for a lot of asset allocators, again, both institutional and retail um, that do a lot of work on asset allocation and don't want to necessarily drift too far from the risk drivers of these parent indexes that, that investors use for their modeling purposes. They they don't want to adjust the risk uh, exposures too much, but at the same time they want to invest in the best of the best. Um, and again, that's, that's really what this approach is. is it's um, yeah, you know the leaders again. Using that word, the leaders in each industry across these ESG metrics, um, and so you 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 again end up with a portfolio that very much looks and feels like a standard benchmark equity index portfolio, um, but tilts towards the top companies across each of these um, ESG factors. And so there is an energy allocation. It is a little bit lower, actually, than what the MSCI world would would have. Um, uh, but it is, again, only investing in, you know, the top companies that score across each of those ESG metrics.
2: Great. Right. Thanks for that, Chris.
3: And yeah, if I could sum it up, energy
2: companies are compared to like energy companies. Tech companies are compared to tech companies. And, you know, there's certainly different things that you think about across those industries and they're scored on, on those metrics. That's a great update. A more, uh, more fun question that's come in. With the U.S. border set to open up um, November eighth, can you give us some snowbird ETF ideas to set them off for the winter? Uh, considering we're all we're all celebrating that reopening of the border. Thanks.
0: Yeah, thanks, and Mark and I'm trying to decide how fun this question really is with, with winter fast approaching. But definitely saw the uh, the frost was heavy on the car this morning. So uh, there's no there's no question of what direction we're moving in. Um, I, you know, in terms of snowbird ideas, and and it is nice that this this border is set to reopen. Um, I thought it's a great opportunity to highlight our u products, so ETFs that are, you know, obviously Canadian investment vehicles, uh, but that trade in U.S. dollars on the stock exchange. You know, as we know, a lot of snowbirds, um, you know, have U.S. expenses to pay in terms of, you know, rent and utilities and U.S. dollars, and if you have US dollars sitting around, uh, these dot products are a great way to invest them without incurring any um, you know currency transaction fees and and provide you know potentially an income stream to pay for expenses. So I thought it was a good opportunity to highlight you know our, our suite of dot has swelled to you know 18 products now, 18 different tickers. So there's a lot of choices, um, whether it be equity, you know, fixed income, or more of an alternative stream like a like a premium yield, um, but just maybe I'll maybe I'll just go down starting with starting with equity and then decrease by risk. But um, um, again, on that income theme, a couple I would highlight would be ZDYU and ZWHU. That's our U.S. dividend ETF, and then our U.S. high dividend covered call ETF. Um, so as you know, we've spoken, you know, great tools to get exposure to equity growth. They're obviously going to give you a boosted amount of income. The cover call is going to give you about a 6% net net income rate on those U.S. dollars. And, um, you know, obviously those can be great tools to get equity growth exposure, but also get income exposure. You know, we've got a lot of broad equity exposure as well. Um, if you want just kind of an S&P 500, that's our largest um, by quite a bit, .u, ZSP.u. Um you know, on the fixed income side there's quite a, quite a selection of tools um, you know starting from the ultra short term US bonds at US.u if you want something really defensive but you know obviously get some return on idle cash. Um, it's an excellent tool and then we have treasuries as well as corporate bond exposure as well to um, potentially uh, either increase real yield or you know take a duration view or, or simply fill out a portfolio. And then, uh, last but not least, kind of in the on the more balanced side, I would you know really like to highlight the BMO Premium Yield ETF, uh, ZPAY.U. Again, it's more of a balanced type um, exposure, you know, relatively middle of the road type of volatility, much less than equities and just a little bit more than fixed income, but paying a 6% yield and, and giving some growth exposure as well. So some great products there that we don't always talk about. Um, and, and then, you know, a little kind of investor advice is, you know, you may look at these and say, well, there's only $50 million in the fund or they're not that big, but, you know, keep in mind that these are just classes of, a, of uh, generally much bigger funds. And even if they only trade, you know, a thousand shares a day, you know, obviously the liquidity of ETFs is always driven by the liquidity on, of the underlying, and there's a lot of liquidity there. And uh, you know, always contact us uh, should you want any help on the liquidity side of of transacting orders. But I think there's a lot of great tools there uh, for the snowbirds as they fly south. Great, thanks for that update,
2: Chris. And certainly those dot views or views that people don't want to be. You know, exchanging currency and and paying on that, or as well any concerns around estate tax or even for advisors, any of the additional reporting that comes with US instruments, uh, Canadian ETFs are a great way to do it, as you say with these dot
1: U exposures. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to tune into to our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 69 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at fixed income and equity solutions to hedge against inflation, from U.S. tips and real return bonds to base metals and oil.
2: I so want to come back to China we actually talked about China last week but more questions coming in from advisors concerned about potentially a slowdown in the in the economy um, you know we talked about some of the risks otherwise last week but your thoughts on where China is right now and what that means for the broader emerging markets if you think about ZEM or emerging market ETF Thanks.
0: I think certainly there's, to be fair, there's risk with China, but, you know, in in investing and, you know, Warren Buffett has obviously said this much more famously, but, you know, the risk can create an opportunity. Um, I'm paraphrasing his words there. But, um, yeah, I mean, China, if you look at the economy, you know, the GDP is reading at 4.9%, you know, just a touch below pre-COVID levels. You know, we, we, as investors, we've, Seem to have been a little bit, in my opinion, over worried about China GDP. It's, it's basically been trending down for, for 15 years, but that doesn't make it a bad investment. You know, a, a 5% GDP is still pretty healthy. I remember people were quite fussed when GDP went under 10%, maybe about, a, a, you know, a decade ago. Uh, but obviously, there's been still a lot of really good stories with investing with China overall over the last 10 years, kind of looking at some of the risks, You know, there's been increased government oversight regulation this year. We've seen that with the education industry, the gaming industry. You know, they're looking at um, Alibaba, some of the internet businesses, um, kind of in the last few weeks. Obviously, uh, equity investors prefer less regulation than more. So that's been, you know, a bit of a concern. Obviously, there's also been credit concerns with China Evergrande. We've seen some progress there, you know, as we talked on that one a few weeks ago on the call you know, pretty optimistic. China's going to find its way through that. You know, with government help or whatever whatever help is is needed. And then, uh, you know, there's been geopolitical t- tension as well to to just to add to that melting pot. You know, the U.S. and China quite 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 a you know bit, bit of a tenser relationship that started with Trump and has continued with Biden. So, all that being said, lots lots of risk, and and if risk creates opportunities, certainly creates more. Um, you know, it has created more opportunity there. And, you know, the, in terms of the positives, uh, valuation has been, you know, becoming more attractive, obviously. Um, to me, the GDP of around 5% and in broader EM in that 5 to 6% range, that's an attractive place to be, um, you know, as a diversified equity investor. Um, long-term demographics, the rise of the consumer class, these are all themes that are impacting China and, and impacting broader EM. As well, along with it, so um, you know, I think you know one of one of my overall views is, you know, if you're an equity investor, just by the principle of diversification alone, I think it makes sense to have some exposure to EM, and um, you know, it always helps to buy things when they're a little depressed, and I think that would uh, fit fit the description for emerging markets right now. Um, So you know, I would highlight ZEM, uh, the BMO MSCI Emerging Markets ETF. It's a really simple index tracker of broad EM. It's low cost, 25 basis points, um, lots of exposure to China, about 40% exposure to China. It's got 850 holdings, so it's diversified. And I think one, one benefit of this strategy is the consistency. So it's almost very consistently a second quartile fund. And I think in emerging markets, consistency is even more important because, you know, consistency means less surprises. And, and we know in emerging markets, the potential for volatility and surprises is higher. So, you know, over the past 10 years, ZEM's is beating the market by about 1% a year on average. You know, it's a very compelling exposure. You know, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of other uh, storytellers out there will say you have to be act active in emerging markets. I don't think that's the case. And I think ZEM has proven that's not the case. Um, holding the, the index is a really, um, you know, well-diversified way to do it. So, you know, I think it's it can be additive to portfolios, round them out. I think there's a lot of attractive characteristics. So, you know, I think a little bit of um, emerging markets and, and equity portfolios makes a lot of sense. So continue to think that. Um, obviously, short-term noise is always going to play a role. But, you know, on a longer-term view, um, you know, confident with those, those kind of more more headroom on the economic growth, let's say, um, as an attractive investment opportunity. Great. Thanks, Chris. Well,
2: certainly advisors have been picking up the the increasing weight of China within EM and knowing that it's uh, perhaps pushing around that index a little bit. I think uh, the asset allocators out there are viewing this either as an entry point or staying with the consensus and remaining defensive, but certainly, as you point out, an opportunity right now. I want to ask one last question, and it's one of our main state ETFs that I don't think we spend enough time talking about. But just looking at the flows over the last month, uh, certainly seeing that ZSP, our S&P 500 ETF, is actually the number one asset gatherer in Canada. You know, when we talk about this ETF, certainly a lot of the interest comes from the tech companies that are, you know, clustered near the, near the top of the weight, weight column. But can you comment on some of the other companies, perhaps in other industries or sectors, that are driving the returns of the S and P 500 and
3: making it an attractive
2: investment for advisors? Thanks. Certainly,
3: and you know, as you say, you know, maybe we don't spend enough time talking about these core ETFs. Um, you know, you think about the S um, and P 500 and ZSP, and you know, this really is a throwback to the initial days of, of the ETF industry, certainly. You know, the industry has evolved over the last number of years in terms of the offerings that are out there. Um, but the early on, you know, sort of attractiveness of that ETF industry was um, large, liquid, transparent and low cost investments. Um, and that's really what ZSP delivers. Um, you know, the S&P 500, probably the largest, most liquid uh, equity index in the world that um, ZSP, as you mentioned, you know, bringing in the most assets um, in, in Canada in, in, a, in the month of October, um, this is also the largest ETF in Canada. And so certainly, you know, when money gets put to work in the equity markets, whether that's retail or institutional or otherwise, you know, a lot of that money goes to these, these sort of investments in these building blocks. And it just makes a lot of sense, again, a very easy, efficient way. Um, to get diversified exposure to the U.S. equity market. Um, you know, eight basis points on the on the MER, um, very, very low cost for, for getting exposure to over 500 stocks. Um, in terms of, you know, what's been driving the performance of this fund, we have seen, you know, the, the index did do fairly well in October, had a nice return um, during that month. You know, you mentioned it is a tech-heavy index. I think about almost 28% of the index is in the, Proper technology sector. Um, Some of the largest companies are are tech related as well. And so, no surprise that some of those companies were the the drivers in the month of October. Companies like Microsoft was up 15%, Nvidia as well, up 20%. And so, you know, a lot of these were driven by earnings. You know, earnings came through fairly strong for the most part um, in this quarter. And so, some of these companies, after announcing um, you know those those stock prices really um, performing very well. Other companies that that have been driving the performance here, one of them is Tesla. Um, you know, a lot of people think technology related companies, certainly, but this is a consumer discretionary stock and they sell cars, of course. Um, had an interesting few weeks with Tesla. That stock is up forty percent in the month of October. Um, you know it really started to take off when when Hertz made an announcement that they put in an order to buy 100,000 Teslas um, for their rental car fleet. Um, that that kind of sent the share price um, flying. Um, but interestingly, uh, Elon Musk commented that, um, that that deal was actually not finalized. Um, and then Hertz responded to that by saying, we've actually already started receiving delivery, um, and Tom Brady is going to be our, our, our face for, for publicizing this. So there's some interesting back and forth there. Um, unsure exactly what, what the status is of that of that deal with Hertz, but I think more than anything else it just illustrates that not only is Tesla um, benefiting from you know the, the direct consumer demand, but now they're looking at other areas of demand as well. So again those, those rental car fleets, those fleet management type companies um, looking to get uh, uh, tied up with Tesla as well. so, so some good news for them there. But then other consumer stocks uh, performed well as well in October. You know, Home Depot and Nike were a couple that saw some strong earnings. Um, And then, as at a sector level, um, you know, we've seen banks and financials um, do very well in October, and the energy sector as well. Of course, with oil being over eighty dollars as it is, Um, energy tends to make up a very small um, allocation of the S and P 500. Um, but still um, contributing to performance because the the entire sector was up eight um, uh, percent in the month of October. So a lot of different things driving um, the the return of the S and P 500 right now. We've seen some of those other technology leaders kind of roll over a little bit, so to speak, um, and slow down their growth, and others like financials and energy starting to, to to take up the mantle there. And so again, nice diversified exposure, access to 500 companies in the U.S., eight basis points, largest ETF in Canada. You'll never be worried about getting money in, getting money out at, at a good price because it's a very, very liquid index and a very, very liquid portfolio. So um, great building block to have in the toolkit.
2: Right, thanks for that, Chris. And certainly one of the things that sticks out for me is, is the diversified drivers of returns in the S&P 500. You know, if I compare it to the NASDAQ, which of course is X financials uh, clearly there's a large segment of the market that the S&P 500 picks up. So depending on your views there and and energy and other places, it it might make sense as a more diversified uh, investment, which could help explain some of the uh, outsized flows that it's been getting of late. So with that, I think that's all the questions we have for today. So I want to thank everyone for listening in. We really appreciate your time. And as well, a thank you to Chris McCaney and Chris Heeks. Uh, some really good insights today, some good points we can bring back to our own conversations and really help with those, those client meetings and portfolio decisions that, that we're continuing to make.
1: So with that, I want to thank
2: everyone one last time and have a great day.
1: Thank you. To Mark Ray's, Chris McCaney and Chris Heeks for joining us on this, the 100th episode of the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, our experts discuss the momentum generated by COP26 and the strong performance of BMO's Clean Energy Index ETF ticker ZCLN, or ZCLEAN, as well as BMO's suite of ESG ETFs. The recently announced reopening of the U.S. border puts the spotlight on BMO's .U ETFs, 18 different tickers that offer a hassle-free way for snowbirds to invest U.S. dollars without exchange fees, U.S. estate, or reporting red tape. Our experts also discussed BMO's S&P 500 Index ETF, ticker ZSP, the largest ETF in Canada and the country's number one asset gatherer in October. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca, that's b m o e t f s . c a. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.